Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. In Mark chapter 1, we, we have, I think, some of the first public words in the ministry of Jesus. And so being that the case, I would assume that Jesus would have chose these words very carefully. And there in verse 15 of chapter 1, you hear these sort of inaugural words as he says, the time, Jesus speaking, is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Or we would maybe say it like this, the time has come, it's here, or something new is about to go down. And the something new is the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Now, when a first century Jew would hear that phrase, he would think, all right, a political kingdom, established most likely and positioned and centered in Jerusalem. That would be their thinking. The kingdom of God has come. It's a political kingdom. And today, you and I, when we hear that term, we might think of heaven, the kingdom of God in heaven. But really, it's neither of those. It's not a time. It's, it's, it's not a place. I would submit to you that the kingdom of God is a life. It's a life that's lived under the rule and the authority of God. And so here's what Jesus is saying. When he announces the kingdom of God is at hand, he's declaring that a whole new life is available right now. And he's ushering it in. It, it, it's here, he says. It's not wait till you get to heaven and you get to experience the kingdom of God or we're going to set up a, a political utopia that's under God, but it's a life that's lived under the rule and the authority of God. It's not a million miles away. It's not someday in the by and by. It's not like that, that movie that we've all seen and it's, it's not like this. Yes, not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He's saying the kingdom of God is, is now. A life for here and now. To, to experience the life Jesus says there's two things that are required, two things that he mentions, two things that you or I have to accomplish. The kingdom, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and here's the two things. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, now repent means a 180, to turn around, to turn from one thing towards another thing. But turn from what? Well, we normally say, well, from wrongdoing, from wrong living, from sin. But Jesus doesn't necessarily here talk about repenting of sin. And don't misunderstand me, that's a part of it, obviously. Leaving sin behind. 
But, but I think he's also talking about turning from living a life that's centered in you, all about you and what you're doing, and embrace what God is doing. And that's what he, that's what he calls these, these first disciples too. It's a new way of life that's centered on him. Repent, he says, and believe in the gospel. Certainly, you know, he doesn't, doesn't say to, to these who's about to call, you know, stop stealing, stop. All that's assumed. But, but I want you to hear this. I want you to listen. He's also talking about a whole new life that's centered under the rule and the authority of God instead of one that's centered just on you. And then he says, believe. Believe, not, not just an intellectual understanding, not just that I agree with the gospel, but believe actually means that you act upon it. You enter into it. You, you, you take this new life that's been given, and, and it causes a whole way of living. It's kind of like 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, you know, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And let me have your attention for just a minute. This is what it means to repent and believe. I enter into a whole new life under the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. And I leave my old life behind. I leave my old master behind, which for most of us is, is us. Let me see if I can illustrate the word believe. Let's say you're afraid of the ocean. You've never been in the Gulf of Mexico. You don't want to go out in that, that water. And you're barely able to swim. But you'd like to try surfing or you'd like to try paddleboarding. You're intrigued by it. But you're afraid of the ocean. You're afraid of the water. So you do some investigation. You talk to some surfers about their experience. You, you watch some videos. You do some reading. And you find out, actually, it's pretty safe and it's pretty enjoyable. So you join a connect group on the fear of ocean and Gulf of Mexico. And you're working through your, your issues. You finally come to the place where you believe it's safe and that it's a great way to enjoy life. So you go to Coastline Coffee House and you walk through the door into Interlight Surf Shop. Which, by the way, my brother would gladly sell you a paddleboard. <laughs> you buy a paddleboard, you get some sunscreen, you get a rash guard shirt, some cool trunks, a leash, a straw hat. You're so cool now. <laughs> and you head to the beach. You got all the stuff that you need. You make your way down to the water. It's a beautiful day. The surf's small and glassy, 84 temperature water, perfect for a beginner. You're about to step in the water. You finally conquered your fear. And you go, is that a shadow in the water? <laughs> Was that a dorsal fin? Are those jellyfish over there? Is that guy lying down on his board 
Sleeping or is he dead? <laughs> and at the last minute, you say, no way. What was I thinking? I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And so the question is, after all your investigation, after all that you've gone through, do you really believe that it's safe and enjoyable way to do life? Well, all that I've read says it is. All that I've heard and the people I've talked to. But see, here's the thing. Until you step in the water and paddle out, you don't believe. Oh, you may say you believe. You may look like you believe. And it's the same way. You don't really believe the gospel until you invite Jesus Christ into your life and he rules and reigns over your life. You leave your old life behind, and he becomes the authority. The understanding of the good news or agreeing with the good news, or, or I would like to experience the good news, starts by stepping into it. The question is, have you entered into the experience and surrendered your life to his rule? And so the first words of Jesus is this. Hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. This, this whole new life is available. But you need to repent and believe. And he's establishing his rule and reign in the hearts of people to turn from their old life and enter into a new life, the way of the kingdom of God. And what's it look like? Well, I, I trade my old life for a kingdom life. And Mark gives us a great picture of that in the next few verses. Look, look with me after verse 15. He announces the kingdom of God, and then he's going to show you how people receive it and respond to it. Now, after this, it says, he walked by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't give us a lot of details at this point about these guys. Probably the most info we get from this section of Scripture is that they're fishermen and they're brothers. That's all we know right now. Simon and Andrew, James and John, they're fishermen. And I want you to understand this, that fishing along the sea or the lake of Galilee, however you want to look at it, is a generally profitable business there in first century Galilee. It's certainly been profitable for Joe Patty around here, don't you think? <laughs> These are the Joe Patties of the Sea of Galilee. They're not poor losers. They probably made a really great living. They had friends. They had family. They had community. They had fish fries on the weekend. They played pickleball with their buddies. They're, they're part of the Galilee network and probably a significant part of it. 
And life was good for these guys. But now Jesus comes along with a challenging invitation. He says, kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe. And follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Now, this is unusual for several reasons. One is, it's very unusual for a rabbi to call his disciples. It was always the other way around. Students would approach a respected teacher and ask to be a disciple. But here, Jesus is doing it backwards. Number two, he says, follow me. He doesn't say, come and let me teach you the Torah. Let me interpret the law for you. Because this is what most rabbis would do. They were tutors of the law, the ways of God. And, and each rabbi, and the reason that disciples would go to them and ask to follow or to be taught by them, was because each of them had a distinct way to interpret and understand the law. And disciples would pick, oh, I like the way this guy interprets it, the way he teaches. And, and then they would sort of line up and ask, can I be your disciple? To learn his approach to learn his methodology. But Jesus, instead of talking about, hey, I'll teach you how to know the scriptures, the Torah, he makes it very personal. He says, follow me. Not just my method, not just my approach to scripture, but follow the way I live. Follow my life. Learn of me, Jesus would say. And the first thing that Jesus does is he invites them into a personal relationship with him, a way of life, not just a way to study Scripture, to be with him, to be like him, to learn from him, to become like him. And I would submit to you there must have been something extremely compelling and amazing about the life that Jesus was living that captured their attention and hearts in such a way that they laid down their nets and followed him immediately. And I think it's kind of every believer's story in some way. They're sort of minding their own business. They're going about life. One, they're, they're doing their job. And, and, and suddenly Jesus comes along. And I think all of us in some way, either living a good life or a hard life or a messed up life or a successful life, and Jesus comes along and he interrupts your life. That's what he does best. Amen. And he calls you to himself. Maybe you hear a sermon. Maybe someone shares a message with you. A friend tells you about Jesus, you, or you read the Bible, or you listen to the radio, and something begins to stir in your heart, and, and, and it's about his life, his sacrifice, his love, his teaching, and eventually, you come to the place where you say, Jesus, I do believe in you, not just up here, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you authority and, and, and rule over my life. I mean, I, I was 18 when it happened to me, and Jesus was the furthest thing from my mind. You, some of you know my story. I was a high school dropout at 16. I was traveling with my older brother who was a pro surfer, and I thought, boy, this is the life. And then some things started happening. 
My mom had been divorced when I was 13. Life was a little weird at home. She remarried, and I I just didn't feel like, ah, what is going on? Uh, My girlfriend broke up with me. Can you imagine any girl breaking up? (laughs) But she did. So not only am I just like, what is going on? And my girlfriend broke up with me, and I'm trying to figure out life, and I was lonely. I was trying to figure out where do I go from here, and you know what? Jesus came along, and he said, follow me. I said, Lord, if if you can do something in me and for me and to me, and, and, and I said, I'll follow you. And it doesn't matter if you're five years old or 18 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old, if you say yes to Jesus... I'll follow you. You start to follow, but I would say that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. It's just the beginning for these guys. They step out of the boat. They step into this, this, the shadow of Jesus. They're going to follow him. And the invitation, please listen, is not just follow me. It's also I'll send you to be fishers of men. It doesn't just stop with, okay, let's follow. He wasn't just calling, he was also sending. He wasn't just asking them to follow, he was asking them to join in his work, to go into the world and tell and serve others in his name. That was the call. That's what it means to believe. He wasn't just trying to use a clever turned phrase when he said, I'll make you fishers of men because they were fishermen. No, he was making a connection with their old life and their new life. I'm going to take this life of yours, this fishing life that you have, and I'm going to turn it into a mission. It's going to be a whole new, different life. I'm going to give it more purpose, more depth than you ever dreamed. So so follow me, not just for yourself, but the kingdom of God is at hand And I'm going to send you to be fishers of men for others and for this kingdom. Oh, sure, they would benefit greatly knowing Jesus personally. But when Jesus said, repent, not just of sin, of course sin, that's understood, but it's also of a life that's too small. That's what you need to repent of, he says. Your life is too small. You're just fishing. I've got a whole kingdom I want you to be a part of. And I want you to follow me. But not just follow me and know me, but he also adds to it, and I think he adds it to all of our lives. I'm also saving you from a self-focused life, and I'm going to send you and make you fishers of men. It's a turn from making a living to being on mission, from serving self to serving Jesus, to, to a life that makes a difference for the kingdom, from, from making a profit to having an impact on a world. And that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't say, hey, follow me. I'm going to teach you how to make a lot of money. They were probably making a lot of money already. But to change their world in his name and to help others know about the kingdom of God. See, that's what he came for. They talk about the kingdom. I don't think many times we really understand what repent and believe means. Jesus says, 
I walked into your life. Maybe it was at work or, or, or tomorrow he goes with you to, to school or around the house. And he says, look, the kingdom of, of God is now. And what he's asking for you, for, for me to do, sure to change behavior, yes, to, 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 to adjust our attitudes, to turn from whatever sin it is that, that easily besets you or trips you up over and over again. It's clearly repentance is about that. But it also could be when he says repent, that you're just following Jesus for your own self. It's all about me, to serve my interests rather than the kingdom, to have some sense of a security in life. Well, Jesus is going to take care of me, kind of a security blanket. You know, a get out of hell free card. I got Jesus now. But if you've never joined him in his work, to serve him and follow him and submitted to his rule and to fish for others. See, that's why he came, to call you out of the world and into following him. And he comes to these guys, hey, I'm going to take you out of that boat and, and I'm going to put you in a whole different world. It's going to be so much bigger than you ever dreamed. And not that life was so wrong for them. Being a fisherman wasn't sinful. It was just too small. They said, I got a bigger life than that, guys. Doesn't mean they never fished again. But instead of settling for just making a living, he was going to help them make a difference. See, here's the point. Where do we get the idea that you could follow Jesus and not be on mission? I don't see that in the Bible. <laughs> Where do we get the idea that you could separate the gospel of going to heaven from the gospel of going into the world? It's both of those. As a citizen of heaven, I, I want to take as many of, of, of people I can with me there. He said, follow me. What did Jesus do the whole time he was here? He proclaimed the kingdom of God over and over. How could we follow him if we never do that? It's Jesus and mission, Jesus and others, and I would submit to you that Jesus is all about others and the kingdom of God. That's his deal. See, being a follower of Jesus is more than just a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, I love the fact that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But it's also about a public transforming relationship with you and your world. That Jesus said, look, here's who you are now. You're salt in your light. And he said, don't lose that saltiness. Because what good are you if you lose it? Good for nothing but to be trampled under the feet of men. See, if my personal faith in Christ has no outward expression, it's just all about me, then it has a huge hole in it. It's like having a paddleboard with no paddle. Where are you going? Nowhere. <laughs> but look at me. As Jesus is teaching his men, these brothers, about fishing for people, they're learning about him and who he is and his mission to others. That's why he came. It says in verse 21, then they went into Capernaum. And that's where these guys lived. They're in Capernaum, 
right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And so Jesus, with these guys from Capernaum, there, that city, he ends up making his home base. In fact, if you ever go to Israel, you go to Capernaum, over the gate of the old city, the city that's been excavated as a sign, says Capernaum, the home of Jesus. That's where he spent most of his time. He goes to the synagogue, a logical place to start his teaching ministry. The leaders of the congregation listen to his teaching, and it says they are astonished. They're amazed at the superior authority he has in his teaching. Now, I want you to listen to this. Authority has to do with its source. That's what authority is about. A king, a king has inherited authority. You're born into the royal line, so to speak, like King Charles in England. That's inherited authority. A CEO or a president of a company has delegated authority. It's given to him or her from, from the board of directors or shareholders. So you, you can have inherited authority. You can have delegated authority. And they, they, they bring up, well, he doesn't teach like the scribes or, or other leaders. And, and, and this, the, the term that's mentioned there when they're speaking about Jesus and his teaching astonished them for he, uh, having authority not as the scribes. And the scribes would be kind of like interpreters of the law. So there's all kinds of authority. If you're, if you're a professor in a university, you know, it's, it's achieved our authority, if you will, based on, based on your study and, and your degrees and your research and your preparation. It's kind of an achieved authority. And each one of those sources of authority, it's outside of the person who has or holds the power to rule as a king. Well, I was born into it. To run a business, well, it was delegated to me. To teach a class, well, I achieved certain degrees and certain uh, level of education. But when the people of Capernaum acknowledge that Jesus teaches as one with authority, not like the scribes, nothing against the scribes, they're scholars of the law. They interpret the law. They, they help those who, who have disciples under them understand the true meaning of the law. They're like attorneys, really, today. The authority is not in the attorney, but their authority is in the law. And they do their job best when they interpreted the law accurately and impartially. And that was the job of a scribe, to teach and interpret the law. The authority is not their own. It comes from the law. But now Jesus stands up, and they go, he's not like one of these scribes that did interprets the law and, and gets his authority from the law. He astonished the people, not because he was loud. You know, it's not like Jesus got it. Wow, he's really loud. He must have some authority. Praise the Lord! Wow. No, he didn't do that. I don't think he did. 
It's not because he had a certain style. I don't think that was it. I don't think it was because he had on preacher sneakers. Have you heard this trend? Some preachers wear three to $5,000 pair of sneakers. Talk about authority. I'm not going to comment on that anymore. He didn't quote some outside source. Here's the deal with Jesus. He is the source of authority. That's who he was. No person on earth has ever or ever will have the inherent authority like Jesus Christ. In fact, in his final words before he ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And so when he spoke in that synagogue, they were like, oh my goodness, he's not just quoting a bunch of law and interpreting it, he's speaking to us in a sense of authority that comes from himself. And it created a reaction within the synagogue, if you look at it there in verse 23 as it goes on, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. They didn't even know he was there. No one had come in with that kind of authority. And suddenly this unclean spirit also recognized the authority, saying, let us alone. I don't know if he was talking about many demons within him or, or speaking for demons in general. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. And suddenly his authority is revealed. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out. And when the certain spirit, unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice. He came out, and they were amazed. They questioned among themselves, who is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout the region of all of Galilee. The word amazed is used twice in these brief verses. And in verse 22, we, we read that they were amazed at and astonished at his teaching. And then here in verse 27, they were amazed and, and questioned among themselves. In verse 22, that word amazed means they were like blown away. They were wowed. They, they were overwhelmed. But in verse 27, it's a different meaning there. Same, same word, but there's a different tense to it, a different meaning. It carries the idea they were somewhat fearful. This was something beyond their explanation. This was something scary just happened. Maybe they knew this guy. Maybe this guy was a regular attender at the synagogue. Maybe he was a greeter at the door. Morning. No one knows I'm demon-possessed. Maybe he's in the worship team. Have you ever wondered? <laughs> Maybe he's on the prayer team. <laughs> Maybe he was teaching. <laughs> Let's hope not. We do know this, though, about the story, that Jesus speaks with authority and acts with authority. And this man, well, this man is set free. Because Jesus is the one true and final authority. He's not sharing his opinions. 
He's not talking about religion. He's not demonstrating a lot of rituals. He's not debating doctrine. He's not interpreting the law. It's the Word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And he speaks to the demon because he has all authority. And Jesus comes and he interrupts our lives. And he says to you and he says to me, the kingdom of God is at hand. The authority of God to, to rule over your life. Quit calling it your own if you're going to follow me, he says. I'll make you something. I won't make you just a church attender. I won't make you just a Sunday Christian. I'll make you somebody who has a mission in life. I'll make you a fisherman. I'll make your life not just about you anymore, but about my kingdom. It's the word of God. And Jesus interrupts us and he says, I want you to believe the gospel. I don't want you just to intellectually understand it and debate doctrine and get all excited about prophecy and these different things. Although there's nothing wrong with that. But I want your life to step into the kingdom of God under my authority and under my rule and make your life a life of purpose and mission, not just a life that goes by. It's a life under the rule and authority of Jesus Christ, a God-centered life. That's what it means when the kingdom of God comes into your life. I'm now under his rule. I'm now under his authority. But you might say, well, well, wait a minute, I believe. I have a Bible. I go to a small group in church. But are you submitted to his purpose, under his authority, living with purpose and omission for Jesus Christ? That's what's demonstrated in Scripture. It's not a guilt trip. It's a call from Jesus. A call from one who says, you know what, instead of just following after yourself and whatever you want to do, you know, whatever it might be, I want you now to repent, turn, believe, which means step into action, get out in the water, whatever it might be. And now I want you to follow me. And I'm the one with the authority. And he would say to you and me, let's do some fishing for people. And let's be about the kingdom of God. See, that's the call from the very beginning. Jesus comes and he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about Jerusalem. He's not talking about setting up a, our personal kingdoms here on this earth or, or what we like the best. He's telling the kingdom of God is now. And I want you to repent. And I want you to believe. And, you know, it's action-oriented. And I want you to follow me, the one with all authority. The one who spoke like no other man ever spoke before. The one who has, if, if you know him, placed a call on your life. Not to make, just make your life better, but to make your life have an impact for the gospel. And this is what you see Jesus doing all through the gospel. I love the fact whenever he touched a person's life, it seemed like immediately they went and told others. They didn't just get a Bible and go, wow, now I'm going to study. Nothing wrong with that. 
the, the woman at the well. How many times you go go get your husband? Uh, uh, I don't have a husband. Oh, you've had a few. And then she goes into town, and what does she do? She tells everybody, "Come, come and see this guy. He's amazing. He's got authority. He told me everything I, I ever knew." And they come pouring out. And Jesus tells his disciples, what does he tell them? Look, we're going to have some amazing Bible studies with these guys. He says, no, no, no. He goes, Look, the field, it's white to harvest. Because Jesus is all about people. He's all about others. He's all about changing lives. He's all about the good news of the gospel and, and calling us to not just turn from sin. That's understood. Murderers, adulterers, fornicators, they'll not inherit. The, we, we know, see, most of us would agree and most of us realize we're good at sinning. We know we need to turn from that. But we're also good at building life comfortably all about ourselves. And that's one of the things he's also telling us to repent of. Turn from being a self-centered person and follow me. That's what he says. I'm not following you, Jesus says. You're following me. And he's someone with great authority, great power, great wisdom, far beyond ours. And he'll take you out. of it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to leave your vocation, but he'll make your vocation more powerful, more meaningful, and more full of purpose than it's ever been before because you'll be involved in this mission of when everyone comes into your life. Oh, 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 is this, a, is this one I'm fishing for that he sent my way? So here in this introductory passage of the Gospel of Mark, we, we see Jesus demonstrating for us what it means when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And what it means is that he's come to call us to repent, truly believe, and to follow him and to be sent by him. And that's when the kingdom of God really starts coming into your heart and into your life when you truly realize, you know what, I have more to repent of than just my sin. And there's more to this kingdom of God than just intellectually believing and understanding theology. There's this thing of, 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 of following the one with all authority and being involved in his purpose and in his mission. And that's the call that he has upon these men. And you know what? Their lives were never the same again. And I would submit to you that anyone who truly repents and believes and follows becomes a fisher of men. And your life is never the same again. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 